0: It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve you and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. Today, I'm going to talk about something that is costing us just too much money and something that could potentially make you money. First rents, they've gone up, 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 and away in so many places in the country, And when's that going to slow down? And then there's this thing going on in Orlando that just absolutely is driving me crazy about apartments. It's something that I think people everywhere need to hear. And later, speaking of rent, what about renting out your car? How good an idea Our bad idea is that. We're going to talk about that later. So apartment rents have gone up by really unprecedented amounts in a very short period of time. The last time we experienced anything like this in the United States was in 1946, 7, and 8, I think, in the aftermath of World War II. You know, everything had been about the war effort from thirty nine when Germany first invaded, I think thirty nine was when they invaded Poland. Thirty-eight must have been Czech, Czechoslovakia, thirty-nine Poland, all the way through forty-five. Everything had been about the war. After the war we had all these returning GIs, all these new family formations. We had an extreme housing shortage. And what happened, prices went crazy. Fast forward to today, we had the banking scandals that led to the real estate bust that went on till 2012. And the housing market from years of extra low activity has never caught up on homes to purchase or places to rent. And so we have this problem that had been building for a while and certain factors with the pandemic led to an escalation in the problem these much higher rents and on the rental side the good news is money has flowed to build apartments because all the what they call the pro formas show that investors in new apartments are going to just make a fortune of money so they're all chasing that And the very increase in supply that's going to come online in city after city is going to have the effect of moderating apartment rents. And it's no longer going to be a thing where tenants are begging to be able to rent a place at these crazy prices. The prices will, in fact, moderate and a normal rental market equation will return in most markets in gosh in 23 easily in so many places but in the meantime housing affordability has been brutal for people people want the music to stop they want these higher rents to stop and sometimes in my opinion the cure is much worse than the disease in all places Orlando Florida has seen really a dramatic increase in affordable rentals. And Orlando has a massive workforce of people who make modest salaries that now doubling and tripling up, they're still wheezing on the cost of rent, has led to a coming vote on rent control. Of things that look like a good idea that turn out to be a disaster, rent control is like the ultimate. What rent control does is it tells landlords, yeah, you own that place, but we decide what you can charge for it. The government will decide what you can charge for that rent. So yeah, that helps the people that are already in those apartments, but then what does it do to the incentive for anybody to ever build another apartment? It destroys it. In fact, they even figured this out in New York, which is like, uh, I think, the granddaddy of rent control in the country, that landlords just stopped building, right? They said, no more apartments. And the apartments we have, we're not going to fix anything because we can't get any rent for it. So now in New York, if you build a new apartment, you're not under rent control. I would always be nervous, though, later that some point in the future, some future government would say, well, yeah, the rents are getting high for people. So we said no rent control, but now we're going to do it again. This is one of those things that makes politicians popular in the short run, but creates the problems for housing supply and quality and all the rest, such a problem over time, but we'll see what people and Orlando end up thinking and how they end up voting on this. It's I mean, this would be the voter's choice, but I sure hate the idea. Krista?
1: Okay, we'll start with this from Terry in North Carolina. I see on your website good tips about booking travel, including using AAA. I wonder, has Clark ever used AAA for cruise or land tour travels? And if so, was it a good experience?
0: I've never used AAA for a cruise I've never used anybody for a land tour I've always put my own trips together and I have an unusual situation Terry in that I was long ago in my life I was a travel agency owner and I owned five travel agencies and uh, we booked a lot of leisure trips for people so I'm pretty much my own travel agent as a result for cruises there are any of a number of cruise agencies that discount Quite nicely. Almost always, it's going to be cheaper to book through a high volume cruise only agency or a regular travel agency that books a lot of cabins because they get these preferential rates. I use Costco Travel for my cruises because they rebate most of the commission. But whoever you find is a discounter that you're happy with their combination of service and pricing for cruises, go for it. On the tour front, There are not a lot of circumstances where booking a tour is something I recommend that usually I find today, uh, particularly with the ability with the internet, with having our phones available to us, that you can independently travel in most of the world, not needing a tour.
1: And this is from Tracy in Arkansas. I booked a hotel for one night through a third party website for $129. Payment went through as normal on my credit card, but an additional payment posted to my card a few days after my stay. It was pending for a few days prior, so I thought it would drop off. The amount was for over $100. I called the hotel, and they said it is their standard now to charge this when booking through a third party. It basically is in the fine print when booking, and a sign was in their lobby, neither of which I noticed. I was told the refund would post back, although it could take up to two weeks. Two weeks later, no refund, and the hotel said the credit was erroneously sent to the third party, so they promptly reversed it and sent it to me, finally. I have not experienced this before. Do you know how common this practice is?
0: I've never, ever heard of this, Tracy, in any hotel booking I've ever done with Priceline, a Hotel Direct, with Hotwire, with any booking source. This sounds really shady and weird. It is common when you check in at a hotel, they will put a hold on a certain amount of money, depending on the caliber of hotel, whether it's a resort facility, could be $50 per night, $100 a night. If it's a resort, could be a few hundred dollars per night, so that since you prepaid for your room, they want to make sure they got paid for the incidentals, as they call them. But usually it's a hold, and I'm not had an experience or a situation in my own life or that I've heard from anybody else where the charge is put through and then later supposedly you're going to get a credit and I'll keep my eyes on this to see if this becomes a new hotel industry pattern and I'm glad that you were an eagle eye saw the charge because think about if you hadn't 60 days goes by The hotel gets to keep the ill-gotten gains.
1: And we're so persistent in getting it back to the third party, the whole thing. Yeah. This is from Jen in Florida. Clark, I've been waiting to travel to the Middle East since my April 2020 trip was canceled. I'm looking for Cairo and Jordan, especially Petra. How would I gauge if it's okay to travel there now? Likely I would buy my own airfare and hook into a land tour or daily guided tours, but I travel as a single female.
0: Okay, Jen. My goodness, this is so weird because just a couple of questions ago, I said, so I wouldn't buy a land tour, a single female traveling alone in the Middle East, you absolutely want to be part of a tour because there's a tendency, a cultural tendency, I, I don't want to get too deep into it, but you should not be traveling alone as a single female being on a tour is a good idea. As to the safety, lately it has been safe to go to both Egypt and to Jordan, and I feel comfortable myself going, but my safety standards in terms of events going on in the world and terrorism and all that, I'm a little more adventurous than people usually are. When you book this trip, you want to buy cancel-for-any-reason trip insurance, Because let's say you were getting ready to go and there was an unfortunate terrorist event that made it uncomfortable that you no longer feel like traveling. Normal trip insurance is not going to give you any money back for that. So if you buy a trip insurance policy and pay the additional premium for cancel for any reason coverage that will cover either 50% or 75% of what you paid, then you'll get back half or three quarters of what you paid. That's what you absolutely should buy when you book this trip. So we're on a travel theme. Today. I did. I
1: threw them those travel questions in here together.
0: All right. So now we're going to talk about whether you should make money helping out other people who are traveling by having your own miniature car rental agency. We're going to talk about that.
1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
0: All right. So this is an area that is hazard and opportunity together. But there's real money to be made right now being your own miniature car rental company. The rental car shortage is still a real thing. I experienced just two weeks ago, got to the car rental pickup place and there were no cars. I knew what was going to happen because I walked up and I saw a bunch of people who were in really bad moods standing there with a bunch of luggage. And then just a few days ago, I was in the arrivals area. I wasn't renting a car that day. And I saw the line at one of the major car rental companies that stretched all the way from one end of baggage claim to the other because they were out of cars. I mean, this is this is messy, and the cost of car rentals has come down from the craziness where they were early this year, and then this summer, they have come down, but they're still elevated compared to normal numbers, and... There's a long explanation I won't get into that's all related to the car rental companies dumping their fleets in an almost entirety back in 20, and they've been fighting from behind ever since. So it means that the money you can make renting out a car to strangers is so much greater than it ever was when we first started talking about Turo and smaller competitors at Turo, that it's crazy money but there is hazard with the opportunity and i was interested recently the federal trade commission put out a briefing basically saying renting out your own car is bad it's terrible it's dangerous and all these awful things can befall you and i appreciate them wanting to give some heads up but the negative experience that they said is something, and they want you to, okay, I'm reading from the top of the thing. It says, if you had a bad experience renting your car out through a peer-to-peer app, tell the FTC, reportfraud.ftc.gov. My goodness. And it goes on from there to be just negative, risky, dangerous. So, Yeah. There is potential risk to you if, let's say, somebody's in the car and they're drunk and they have a wreck and somebody is badly injured or whatever, you only have what sounds like a lot, a million dollars in coverage from whatever rental outfit you do it through. The peer-to-peer group that's kind of like the Airbnb of car rentals, whichever one you go with, there are risks involved if you look at the possibilities that could occur from misbehavior by the individual you rent a car to. Completely true. They also say at the FTC, hey, people are going to know where you live, so they can come rob you or whatever. They'll know your general area. All depends how you set up yours. A lot of people doing this business, started with tentatively with one vehicle, and then they figured out what works to buy, and now they're up to like four or five used vehicles that they rent out. And even though they're paying inflated prices for those vehicles, they're getting such good daily rental rates for them that it works. But this is a real job you have. This is a real job you've got because you're having to get that vehicle to people at inconvenient times any day of the week. You're having to deal with a return any day of the week at any time. This is not a passive thing. This is something you're active with. You have to deal with somebody who might have a wreck or may leave your vehicle a mess or did something you don't like, like uh, they were partying and they got sick in your vehicle or whatever. Use your imagination. So, yes, there are potential risks, and you must inform your own auto insurer that you're participating in one of these programs, and they may have a surcharge on your auto insurance. It's depending on the state you do it in, the insurer may end up with some liability even if they say that you're on the insurance of you know whatever car rental, toro or whoever you sign up through. So I know that people jump into things sometimes – with both feet, without really considering all the consequences. And that is true. And I know there have been situations that things have gotten bad for somebody who did one of these. But I want to tell you, it's in between those two extremes most of the time. It is something that's going to require hassle and work on your part. It is something you could make money from. And it does work very well for any of a number of people who are doing this as a business. Most important thing I've seen from people who've done well with this is you don't want to have a vehicle that you have too much money tied into. You want one that's reliable for somebody to rent, just like a typical car rental company car that they're going to rent to you is going to be a low to mid-market vehicle. And they're going to have decently high miles on them now. It's not unusual When I rent from one of the traditional rental car companies, that there's 50,000 miles on the odometer when I rent the vehicle and it's not in the greatest shape. From the renter's side, whether you're doing one with somebody who's doing a peer-to-peer rental of a vehicle or you're renting from one of the majors, remember, document anything wrong with the vehicle when you first get it and document the condition you're turning it back in when you return it. Because you fail to do that as the renter, you can have some real trouble. Krista?
1: So I guess you might have already answered Paul's question, but I'm still going to read it. He says, we're trying to find a car to rent in Portland, Maine, while we're visiting, but they're so expensive. Do you have any deals out there?
0: Yeah, so New England is especially a real problem during fall leaf season. The rentals are crazy, crazy high from Boston north. In fact, doing a Turo or one of their competitors would be a great idea in New England. And as I've said in the past, with car rentals now, the car rentals can end up being a lot more money than your air flight, than your hotels. You want to, in the 24 hours you have the right to cancel an airline ticket, you want to shop those rental cars and make sure they're affordable where you're going. Paul... Go ahead and book car rental the traditional way. They're full, you, know, you don't have to pay any money up front. Closer to rental time, the rates may drop. Also see what you can do through one of the peer-to-peers would be what I would say.
1: Auto slash. That's my favorite well, that you always recommend. I yeah, used that recently.
0: Auto slash. What it does is you book through them. Not all car rental agencies cooperate with auto slash, but you have it on autopilot. They continually reshop your rates day after day after day and every time the rates drop they rebook it for you
1: again and this one's from Jennifer in Texas I recently had foot surgery oof beforehand I asked for all the entities participating in the surgery so that I could verify they were in network for my employer's health plan I was able to confirm all were in network after the surgery I was notified by the insurer that the anesthesiologist was out of network but the group who submitted the bill had a different name than I was originally given. Do I have any recourse for this situation? My out-of-pocket for out-of-network bills is quite large.
0: So potentially, yes, Jennifer. This surprise bill or bill shock kind of thing was finally dealt with in the law, and there's a briefing if you go to CMS.gov, and it talks about the new protections, if you have health insurance, which you have, and one of the things it says right away, ban out-of-network charges and balance bills for supplemental care like anesthesiology or radiology by out-of-network providers who work at certain in-network facilities like a hospital or ambulatory surgery center. And so often now, these surgeries are done at surgery centers instead of at a hospital-based facility, so that was dealt with in the law. And so there are specific protections you're eligible for when you have uh, employer-provided health insurance. You buy at uh, healthcare.gov on the the federal marketplace or the state equivalent. There are circumstances also where you buy your own policy directly from an insurance company, but that's not as protected. So you almost certainly, though, are going to qualify for payment as if the anesthesiologist was in-network, even though they're out-of-network. A lot of people who are providing out-of-network care hope that you don't know to assert your rights, and that's your job now. You did everything right up front and then they're still trying to burn you, you're not going to let that happen. And I want to hear back that you were successful on fighting against this unacceptable bill after you did all the proper prep up front.
1: And from David in Washington, I recently went to the neighborhood cell phone store to upgrade my son's phone. Lo and behold, the monthly charge for his line went up 50%. They had upgraded him to a higher plan and added a device protection plan without mentioning any of it. I got the increases reversed, though I'm kicking myself for getting rolled in the first place. Never, 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 not ever do anything in a phone store without asking how is
0: this going to affect my monthly bill. So David, I would say something else about the cell phones. Don't do anything at the cell phone stores. Those employees are under so much pressure to sell up and to meet quotas for the quasi-garbage insurance plans, protection plans, they all sell and all that, that if you do stuff on the websites of the cell phone providers, usually you get a better price. You don't have to pay for a new SIM card and all that stuff usually. You'll usually do much better on your own. Plus, in the cell phone stores, they tend to say, okay, sign here on this pad, sign here, sign here. You have no idea what you're signing and what you've agreed to. And then it'll print out on some kind of register tape that would make you think you were at CVS <laughs> buying a pack of cough drops and you got a six foot receipt. So know that the employees are not trying to play dirty. They're just under such intense pressure from management of the cell phone carriers to meet these quotas, to sell up and sell garbage like the the phone coverage junk. Never buy that stuff ever, ever, ever. Not ever from a cell phone carrier. Never. In fact, oh, side note.
1: When should we buy it?
0: <laughs> what you should do is use a credit card that covers your cell phone damage, loss, theft, whatever, just for paying your cell phone bill with that card. That costs you nothing and you don't get ripped off. So that's really what you should be about. And I'm really sorry that this overpriced cell phone carrier tried to charge you even more money. Go look at our cell phone plan guide and maybe you'll see that you can move your kid and you and everybody else to a much, much cheaper plan than what you're paying this overpriced company to start with. And I'm glad you've joined us today. And I want you to know if you're in a bind, you got a problem, you got a question, we provide free one-on-one advice, guidance, and information at the Team Clark Consumer Action Center, open 30 hours each week, staffed by paid personnel and volunteers and you can find out how to get advice at clark.com slash cac or you can just call monday through friday no weekend hours from 10 in the morning eastern time till four in the afternoon eastern time the number 636-49-CLARK and remember it is the best price of all it's free